0: We've come into a time in the, the calendar year of the church that we call Advent. And Advent is something that's very special. It takes place typically four to five weeks before Christmas. And we celebrate Advent, which is the coming of Christ. We get prepared for the coming of Christ. It's a time of preparation. It's a time of of longing and anticipation for Christ's coming. Now, we know that Christ is coming again, but I want us to put ourselves in the place of where the people of God were longing for the Messiah to come. And so what we, what we do, what the church has done in a historic basis is they, they've celebrated Advent. They've had a time of preparation for Christ's coming. And what we're going to do is we have a, an Advent wreath. And this is something that you may have seen in, in other churches in the past. And I think this is our first time we've actually ever done this. But every week until Christmas comes, we'll be lighting a candle. The four weeks symbolize various things, and typically the first week, one of the main themes is that of hope. Hope, of course, in the coming of our Messiah. And so this morning as we begin the sermon, I want to begin by just simply lighting one of the candles. This candle symbolizing the hope of the coming Messiah. And of course also that Christ in coming into the world is, is spoken of as the light of the world. So this morning, I want us to begin, we're going to look at Luke. Chapter, first chapter of Luke this morning, in, beginning in verse 5. And what we're going to see here is, is if we're talking about preparation, if we're talking about getting ready for Christmas, if we're talking about getting ready for the coming of Christ, what does that mean? And what did that mean? And what's really interesting is it started with this priest who had his opportunity to go in before the Lord this time of the year. And his name was Zechariah. It says this in in verse 5. It says, in the days of of Herod, (coughs) king of Judea, there was a a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a, a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. But it says, not happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, you click the next slide for me. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter, the temple of the, enter into the temple of the Lord and burned incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. We know this is actually the angel Gabriel. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and will give him the name John. <clears throat> and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared, a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man, and my wife was advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. One of the biggest things we see right off the bat is that Zacharias, God had had given him and his wife Elizabeth this child, John, who we know as, as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, who was going to be the forerunner of Christ. He was the one who said, this is the guy who's sent out to kind of lay out and prepare the way for the coming of the king. One of the things that would happen during those days is as a king would come in to town, to, to be with the people is that they would, they would literally make the road smooth. They would prepare the way for the coming of the king. And this happened later on as Christ came, and particularly in Palm Sunday where they laid down palm branches and they, did, and they brought, put him on a colt and, and pulled him through and they say, Hosanna to the, you know, the king who is coming and Hosanna the highest. And so they would make sure that the road was just beautiful. We didn't have you know, the Department of Transportation back then like we have now. Okay? And part of the glory of the king coming was the preparation that had to take place. There were parts that had to be smoothed out. There were areas that, need, that were rough that needed to be taken care of so that the king would come. The king would have his due. If you're truly going to welcome and worship and celebrate the king, you've got to get ready for his coming. And so John's job the the Holy Spirit, even as a baby, was to be the one who would come and to say, Look, Israel, your hearts are not ready. Your hearts are not prepared for the king. There needs to be a turning. There needs to be a time of repentance. And repentance, that word, it means to turn. It means to turn away from sin and to turn towards sin. Christ, there are attitudes there are there are positions that you that you are taking with your heart that are not in line with the coming king and so what John did was was pretty fascinating. It says that that he was the forerunner of Christ, and there's another 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 verse that I have I believe that's in Matthew three <clears throat> before Jesus even comes on the scene in Matthew chapter three what what John is doing is we find him out. Baptizing. And he is doing what he called a baptism of repentance. Do I have that scripture in the computer? I may not. Okay. So I'm just going to read it to you. In in, in Matthew chapter three, it says, In the days of John the Baptist, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. It says, Then Jerusalem was going out to him, (coughs) and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. It says they were being baptized by him. In the Jordan River, as they confessed their sins, it was a it was a baptism of repentance, a baptism of, of preparation, of getting ready for the King that was to come. You see, those those things have to happen if we're going to truly celebrate God. If we're going to truly worship the Lord, our heart cannot be turned towards sin. It can only be turned towards Him. For our hope, for our focus to remain on Christ, there has to be a turning. There has to be a time where we set aside, as the Bible says, sinful and, and foolish things. The heart was only intended to hold Him, the mind was intended only to be focused on Him. And so the, the aspect of preparation that needs to take place. Is that turning? Is that repentance? It was the very first thing that took place before Jesus began his ministry. And even Jesus, to mark this very thing, came and was baptized by John as well. Jesus didn't need to to turn. He He hadn't done anything wrong, but he came and he marked the process and said, this, what John is doing, this preparation, this turning from sin has to happen. It has to take place. And so pretty amazing where we see Gabriel it all starts with his, his his father Zacharias now zacharias is is interesting because it says that he didn't believe essentially he he's like, well, how is this really going to happen? How's this going to take place? How am I going to have a child uh you know we're past those years we're too old to have kids and so the 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 angel Gabriel says to him, you know what because of your your unbelief you're you're not going to be able to speak until that child is born. Can you imagine for nine months just just zipped up? It's as if God is saying, look, if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you the opportunity to stop talking and to think for a while. I'm going to teach you what it means to truly anticipate the Lord. And so, we see a different thing happen. Let's see someone on the opposite spectrum, if you will, in the book of in the book of Luke. The very beginning says, after this took place with with Zechariah and Elizabeth, <coughs> the same angel Gabriel, busy angel in the Bible. In verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And you're Probably familiar with this scripture, okay? It says, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was who? Mary. Let's hear that louder. All right. I'll get you to wake up a little bit, okay? Mary, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering this kind of salu- what this kind of salutation was. What, does she mean? what do you mean I'm favored? What do you mean I'm blessed? It's interesting. People that are, that are humble don't realize they're favored. They don't realize they're blessed. Why in the world would God have chosen me for you know what's coming? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, if you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now at this moment, Mary has a decision. She has, you know, what what is she going to say at this point after what God's messenger Gabriel has said to her? Where is her heart at? Where do we see the difference between Zechariah and Mary? And Mary says this. <clears throat> she says in verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the bondslave, or the servant, if you will, of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, what's interesting, and I never really realized until this year, was that we don't think through some of these things, it wasn't at that moment that the Holy Spirit had come upon Mary. The angel Gabriel simply said, this is going to happen. This is a promise from God. This is going to take place. Mary said, may it be as you've said. But we don't know exactly when the Holy Spirit came upon her. We don't know exactly when those things took place, but she believed and had faith that it would. She had that anticipation that God was going to do something amazing. And what's really cool is later on, we see it says, it says now at, the t- at this time, or it says in these days. So later on, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country. She went and saw her cousin, Elizabeth. And she goes in to see Elizabeth, and just hearing, hearing Mary's voice, Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist at this time, jumped in her womb, leaped in her womb, you know, Pretty amazing what's going on. Blessed are you among women, she says, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And listen to this verse right here. In verse 45, it says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord she believed that what god said would happen and it did Prep- preparing for christmas prepared hearts one of the things that a prepared heart does is it it creates a just a natural desire for the lord <clears throat> if if we come before the lord if we take to heart The message that he gave John the Baptist that says, if you're going to be prepared for me, there are things that need to change. And we move forward and we make those changes by the power of the Holy Spirit. What happens instead, what replaces those things, is a desire, a passion, a longing for the Lord. If the Lord is in his proper place, that passion, that longing, that desire is there. I don't have these scriptures to throw in front of you, but I wanted to just to read a couple of them to you about the, the kind of attitude that, that we're talking about here and the kind of heart that I believe that, that Mary had. In Psalm 119, we've, we've been there recently as Diane spoke. In Psalm 119, verse 20, it says this. <clears throat> it says, My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances. At all times. Just this desire, just this longing for Christ. In Psalm 73, we're going to just be in the Psalms for just a moment. In Psalm 73, this is what it says in verse 25. 25 through 28. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Another psalm that describes the longing of a heart that has stayed on him. This is verse 1 and 2 of verse 41. Excuse me. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2. And you've heard this before probably. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This thirst, this desire, this natural desire, this passion for the Lord is something that comes with a prepared heart. Let's not come to celebrate Christmas and celebrate the Lord without our hearts being truly prepared to worship Him fully and completely. Another thing that a prepared heart has is this passion and then there's this understanding actually, of our need for the Lord. One of the things that I was studying this week, if we if we go to Revelation, if you guys have your Bibles, by the way, turn there. If you have your Bible on your phone, turn there as well. But in Revelation chapter 3, in the beginning of the book, basically, God is talking to the church. There's different churches that took place in this particular area. And one of the churches that he spoke to, it's always kind of, gripped me, if you will, was his church of Laodicea. Laodicea is an interesting church. (coughs) God speaks to this church in Laodicea in verse 14, actually verse 15, he says, I know your deeds. He says, I know that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It was just this, this just, just, you ever met someone that's just, how's your day going? Uh, it's it's a day. What does that mean? Is it a good day? Is it a bad day? Eh, it's just a day. The worst thing in the world is when coffee is either, is, is not hot or cold. That's when it's the worst. Has to be hot, Right? You would, you would go to Starbucks, right, or you, you talk to Miss Beth up there. How would you like it? You want it hot or cold today? There is no in-between. I'd like my uh, latte lukewarm, please. No. Nobody drinks it like that. It's either ice or it's fiery hot, and you're ready to go. You just blow on it enough just to suck it down. Right, David? Yeah. That's how you do it, and load it, in your case, with five pumps of white mocha and sugar. Keep it rolling. Yeah. The caffeine and sugar combination jolts me, gets you going. See, that's what Jesus kind of expects. He looks at us and says, you know, I just wish you were either hot or you were cold, that you were, you were fired up from me, that you were all in, or you wanted nothing to do with me. Because what I don't get and what I don't understand is, is how you can be double-minded, so to speak, and you love me one moment, but then you act this way. That doesn't make any sense to me. You must have just forgotten who I am. Do you not know, do you not remember that that I am the one that created you and I'm the one that knit you together and that you were called to worship me, that I'm the one that died on the cross for you and saved you from your sins, the one that's given you brand new life, the old is gone, the new has come. I've given you grace upon grace and blessing upon blessing, but yet, why aren't you fired up? Why aren't you ready and excited for my coming? I get those that are cold, they want nothing to do with me. They want nothing to be around Christians. You know, it's kind of like David and I were joking. Some, we have some people walk in here to the YMCA at times. and like, yeah, hey, what's going on? We're having church. You want to come? Oh, that's great, thanks. And they automatically head for the door. They run away. We know exactly where they stand. I'm good. But they're not kind of like, yeah, they're not tiptoeing and dancing around. And so these kinds of people are just kind of there. John talked about them, too, when they came for baptism. He's doing the baptisms, and some of the the Pharisees showed up, and he says, hey, don't think you can come here. What are you doing here? You have to keep fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, there should be something seen in your life if you're really serious about this. These are people here that are coming to repent, to, to get past that crap and live a new life. What are you doing here? We didn't invite you. We'd love for you to truly change, but this is water for repentance. And then when you come out, things are different, and you're hot. You're not, yeah. The worst thing in the world is a lukewarm, apathetic Christian. And people don't like apathetic people in every every area. You know, when I I had to search for someone to hire to work with me at Oliver Gospel Mission, I didn't want someone that was like, eh, I give him a job. How's it going? Eh, it's it's okay. Well, aren't we all excited? You know? Aren't we just thrilled to have you? We're so glad you're here. We're going to get, well, maybe we'll get some things accomplished. In every area of, of life... The, the lukewarm thing doesn't belong. And so Jesus says, I wish you were hot or you're cold, but because you're lukewarm, you make me sick. You know, he says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. What's interesting is there's some characteristics to these kinds of people. He says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have and have need of nothing, and yet you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. <clears throat> These people that are like that don't realize how blind they are. They don't realize how poor they are. They don't realize that they're naked, that they literally think they have what they need, but they have nothing. They're blind. These are not people that can celebrate the coming of Christ because they don't even realize where they truly are. These are people that are going through the motions, those that that wander into a church service and wander out and they get nothing from it. They just kind of are going through the motions, not just in the South, but a lot of times what I've witnessed in the South is that it's a very cultural thing, right? To go to church, that's what we do. We come, we sit, we check off our box, we we go. But that's not the followers that Jesus is looking for. He says, I'm looking for those who worship in spirit, and in truth, right? The spirit side of it, it's the heart side of it, isn't it? It's the all-in side of it. It says you don't realize that you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind and naked. People don't even realize how miserable they are. But if you were hot, if you were fired up, the Spirit of God was fully alive in your life, you would, you would realize and know what you're missing. And so Jesus says, I advise you to do this, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may, you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and an eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. Some of this process can be uncomfortable. The repentance and the turning away from, from sin so that God's in his rightful place isn't comfortable. He, he doesn't say, I'm just going to give you gold. I'm going to give you gold that's been what? He said, refined in the fire. heated up and melted down. What happens when you do that with metal, if you know the, the illustration? We don't work with metal, but you've probably heard of it. When you melt it down to purify metal, this stuff called dross rises to the top, the impurities, the things that don't belong. Through the fiery trials of life, that garbage, if you will, comes to the surface, and the one who refines comes and scoops that stuff off the top and away. And that refining process, God says, I'm going to give you that kind of gold. I'm going to give you white garments I'm going to give you stuff for your eyes so you can really see. There's so many times we're blinded. We don't even realize, like the church of Laodicea, how miserable we are. But it's all because we've got that dross. We've got that garbage in our life that needs to be taken care of, and needs to be wiped away so that we can have hearts, if you will, of pure gold, hearts that are set on Christ. He says in verse 19, and this is the hard part that really confirms what we just said, in verse 19, those whom I love. Hey, let me ask you this. Does Jesus love you? Brad, does he love you? Yes. Jordan? It's a good answer, right? It's a Sunday school answer. Hopefully we really believe that in our hearts. But he says this, those whom I love, I reprove, which is another word for correct, right? Right? and discipline. Those whom I love, I correct, and I discipline. If you're not going through some fiery trials, if some of the dross isn't being scooped away, you might need to really consider where we are. If the Lord loves you, he spanks you, okay? If the Lord loves you, he, he guides you, he nudges you, he pushes you in the right place. If, if a father loves their child, they discipline them. They have to for them to truly learn, for them to truly experience life in the proper way, the fullness of joy, the fullness of life. And I've shared this illustration before, but a friend of mine, his son, would go into the stove, we had to hit a gas stove, turn it on, you know, flames come up. You've heard this story before, flames come up. And and his kid, you know, he's young. His name was Seth, and he'd smacked his hand and say, No. I'm sure he didn't want to have to smack his hand, and I'm sure Seth didn't appreciate his hand being smacked, but he needed to learn that fire was not something that you played around with. And so those I love, he says, I reprove and I discipline. Therefore, be not hot nor cold. He says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Repent. Repentance sometimes is not something that we're zealous about. But we need to be zealous and to get on our knees before God and say, Lord, wipe it away. What else is there that doesn't belong? Take it away. Because everything that's there is blocking another aspect of your heart, if you will, where God should be. Be zealous in repentance. The same way that these people in the back doing their Zumba class are zealous about exercise. It is not comfortable, right? To be zealous about that kind of thing says, donuts aside, even the ones that Beth has brought, I will be zealous and I will cast them aside. I will go like my beautiful wife here every day to the stinking gym. No matter what, and she comes home in pain and sore and this and rub this, blue. She is zealous. There's a sacrifice there. What are you zealous for? You know, the verse of Scripture I want to hold on to when it comes to physical exercises where Paul says, exercises of, of some gain, but godliness, you know, that's my memory verse, you know. There's nothing wrong with exercise, it's good stuff, but godliness, but you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying. Where is our zealousness at? Where is our heart at? Where is our passion at? And we can, we can take the time to be zealous about things, and we've gained the benefits of those things. We've, we've gotten great with physical exercise, but we haven't been zealous in time with God, for example, and we haven't gained the benefits of that either. The problem with life is that there's, a, there's many choices. Whatever you're zealous for, you will accomplish. You'll get. But what Jesus is saying is if you're going to be prepared, Advent, this time of preparation for me, if you're going to be ready for me, you need to be zealous for me. You want to worship me? You want to celebrate Christmas? You want to celebrate my coming? Be zealous for me. Set aside the spiritual donuts, if you will, for me. What are those things you're you're holding on to, you're clinging on to that I'm not happy with? What are those things that need to go away? Be zealous for me and celebrate fully. If we're going to truly celebrate Christmas, we know it's not about the presents and the gifts and the meals and the food and all those things. It's about Christ, our Savior. That's what we need to be zealous for. <clears throat> because he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Preparation is, is, was people being ready, looking for the coming king. As Jesus is born, they, they bring him and in, in, in have him dedicated at the temple. And there's a couple of people there. And uh, I forget their names right now. The prophetess, Anna is one, and Simon or Simeon, who had been waiting who had been looking, who had been watching. And here we have Jesus standing at the door, having to knock. If you're zealous for Christ, he shouldn't have to knock. Am I right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, here's the reward. I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. And he who overcomes, he who is zealous, right, and overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father and on his throne. Advent, again, is a time of, of preparation. A prepared heart has a natural desire for him. A prepared heart understands our need for Him. It's zealous for Him. <clears throat> one of the things that people talk about with Advent is that there are three comings of Christ. We'll close with this. Three comings of Christ. And, and the first one, of course, is that Jesus came in the flesh. He came as a little baby. He came as the savior of the world and of course he he grew up and he died on the cross for our sins and he was risen on the third day. That was the first coming of Christ. The one that we that we look forward to that we we keep our heads up and our eyes up for is the second coming of Christ. Where he comes in glory and finally makes everything that's not right, right again. That's the end times, it's the prophecy, it's looking at all those things and wondering when his coming will be. But what gets me is this third coming. That's really a part of the preparation in some ways too. And this third coming is is the coming of Christ actually. It's this in-between We have his first coming. We have his coming in glory. But it's this time that we live in right now. It's the time of the in-between. And it's the coming of Christ on a daily basis. The coming of Christ on a daily basis. On a daily basis, are you zealous enough to get on your knees and to wait for his coming daily? passage that came to mind that I believe the Lord gave me was James 4.8. In James 4.8 it says draw near to God and He will draw near to you. What we're hoping to do in this time of Advent, in this time of, of preparing for Christmas is to draw near to God that He may draw near to us you stand with me this morning? I want to give you a moment of silence just to talk to the Lord, just to, just to talk to Him maybe about that zealousness, about that natural desire for Him, this understanding of our need for Him this preparation for his coming for Christmas, this preparation of his coming daily. Let me just talk to him for a minute. Lord Jesus, your first step was to send John to preach to your people and to say, turn your hearts away from sin and towards me. Lord, I pray that we reveal the areas of our lives that we need to turn from. And Lord, that we do more than turn from, but we replace them with you. Lord, that our life is a a life filled with worship of you, with focus upon you. Lord, we, we look forward to your second coming, but Lord, we look forward to your coming every day. Lord, make us have a, have a desire and an anticipation to meet with you. Lord, let us be on our knees and ready for your coming, ready for your spirit, ready for the things you want to teach us, ready for the things you want to show us on a daily basis, God, that you would strengthen us. You would make us the people that you've called us to be. Lord, give us such a hunger for you, a desire for you, a dependence on you. Lord, let James 4.8 be in our minds this week. Let us seek to draw near to you that you will come near to us. Lord, we love you. And, Lord, we thank you that you came. We thank you for Christmas and what all that means. And, Lord, I pray that you would prepare us, that you would teach us, that you would call us closer to yourself through this process. Thank you for this day. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.